Welcome to the City Beautiful Church podcast. Thank you for taking the time to join our family as we strive to live together in heavenly reality. For more great content, visit us online at citybeautiful.ch. Um, good morning, church, and welcome back to City Beautiful. Uh, it is so good to have you with us today. Um, before we jump into the message, I wanted to just take a moment for us to continue this conversation that we're having about um, race relations, racial tension, uh, res- restoration, all of these things that are swirling around. Um, I don't know about you, um, I'm really tired. And uh, there have been many points this week when I have felt um, exhausted and overwhelmed, um, where I've been reactionary, uh, where my anger has not been shown in healthy ways, where I have numbed out in order to uh, just cope. And, um, and I get the sense from talking to some of you that you're feeling the same way. And... Um, I really wanted to take some time this morning, first of all, to talk about that feeling um, and something that I have learned over the years and I'm still learning uh, that is so important for us if we're going to stick with it, if we really want to see heaven come to earth, if we really want to see justice the way that God defines justice. There are um, some disciplines that we need on the back end of the whole thing in order to help us uh, to have that long view. Um, because I think that you know, it's a sustainable life for the sake of the world needs both contemplation and action. I think contemplation and action can and must go hand in hand. Uh, on Wednesday, I had the opportunity to go down to St. Luke's Cathedral uh, for the Holy Eucharist at noon. Um, one of my practices for several years now has been trying to go every Friday or every other Friday, but of course I haven't been able to go down there for a couple months. Um, and I, I, I went in and, and they were practicing social distancing and uh, kind of really, I'm very proud of them. They were doing everything the right way and, and it was their first time offering uh, Eucharist, the Lord's Supper, uh, in several months as well. And I was praying these prayers and, and I was listening uh, to the reading of scripture and when the priest came by and he placed in my hand uh, the, the wafer um, as the body of Christ and tainted in the cup as the symbol of the blood of Christ, I, I just began to weep um, because it was the first time that I had received communion uh, in, in such a long time. And I had walked into that building feeling so heavy, but kind of stuffed up. And I think it was the first time that I've been able to weep over some of these things uh, in, in quite a while because I, I, I was bearing witness to Christ incarnate in the midst of our pain and our chaos. And I realized how much I needed that moment, that oasis of prayer to kind of reinvigorate me, to draw life back into my spirit so that I can continue to act. And I'm reminded of this, um, this line from Pope Francis. He says, you pray for the hungry, then you feed them. That's how prayer works. And I've always appreciated that he, again, as this great spiritual master, understands how um, contemplation and action meet. I've talked about this many times in our community and really made an effort over the past couple years especially to teach you guys how to do this, um, that we need to cultivate 
a thriving interior life to continually reconnect back to God's heart. This is through meditation on scripture. This is through prayers of contemplation and silence and stillness and solitude. These things are imperative to keep ourselves anchored in the reality of who God is and who he's calling us to be. But we also need disciplines uh, for a life of action. Because we have to go out into the world in order to incarnate the person of Jesus to make his presence known in the places of brokenness in really tangible ways. And if you, you cannot have a thriving Christian life that is only contemplation, that's only about the interior life, that's only about prayer, but you also can't have a thriving, meaningful, kingdom-advancing life if it's only about action and moving and doing and responding to the things around you. Like, you, you will burn yourself out. And I've seen too many Christians where we've chosen one or the other where we're so action-driven that we forget to center ourselves on the heart of God and we burn out or we become bitter or hopeless. Uh, But at the same time, for some of us that we're so, we have retreated from the world so much into a thing called prayer that our prayers have nowhere real to go. We don't feel the pain of the world around us. And in this week, especially encountering in my conversations with some of you, these calls, we need to pray. We need to pray right now. Or we need to act. Now's the time. We've got to act. I say to both sides, yes, it's both and. As Christians, we believe that prayer is important. And as Christians, we believe action is important. But friends, I want you to remember that this is a marathon. This is not a sprint And I'm so worried for myself and for others of us that if we burn out now in just reacting to what's going on around us and being so outwardly focused that we forget to cultivate that interior life with God, we will burn out before the work continues. And things are going to be just as bad as they are today in three months, even if it's not in the news. And if we're going to be allies for the poor, for the marginalized, for black lives, for minorities. It's what happens in three months. It's not just about what happens today. I want to bless all of you in all of the action that you've been taking, in reposting, in showing up to protests, in finding places to donate money. I want to bless all of that because it's important. But I want you to have the spiritual fortitude to see the long view, to take this as a marathon. Because everything we've been saying about the kingdom, everything where we've been trying to live as its citizens is just as true this week as it was any other week up until this point, and it will be just as true in the future. And so I'm gonna pray for us in, in regard to that, and we're gonna continue on. Heavenly Father, we continually come before you in a spirit of lament and repentance to recognize uh, the sins of our country and the sin of our church in choosing to prioritize people because of the color of their skin, because of their socioeconomic status. God, even sometimes we feel this weariness of having to continually confess and repent. 
but that's only because we don't understand on the other side of that comes new life. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you would teach us how to continually enter into that space. Teach us how to cultivate a thriving interior life of connection to you, of engagement with you that would properly frame our action, that would, that would give a trajectory for the things that we take upon ourselves that we want to do. And God, I pray that for many of us, this would be the moment where we choose to stop sitting on the sidelines and considering it somebody else's problem and recognize that we have been called to this place in this time for this moment and that you will equip us through your Holy Spirit to do what you have called us to do, to be the hands and feet of Jesus. But God, we need that long-term vision. We need that endurance to continually choose in to you and your kingdom to reconcile the world back to you. So bless us, Lord, on this journey. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So today we're beginning a new series uh, called Charismata, where we want to examine the spiritual gifts. And, and, I, and, you know, and many of you may be thinking, well, is this really appropriate? Is this the right time to be talking about spiritual gifts in the light of everything that's going on in our country? But I believe in many ways that it is more imperative now than ever that the people of God know who they are and know what they are called to do and how God has equipped them to do that. Because if we're going to be serious about the ministry of reconciliation, we need to know ourselves. We need to know how God has equipped us in order to go about that ministry. And it is important now more than ever that we do, like I was saying, that interior work of understanding how each of us are uniquely and specifically crafted and then how we contribute to the larger whole of what the church is doing in order to have this, uh, this movement for sustainable change. And so I want to talk about the spiritual gifts today just kind of in, in general. And the goal is over the next several week, months, we're going to be looking at the spiritual gifts one at a time and really exploring the ins and outs of them, specifically about how that gift is a manifestation of God's love for the world. So God has equipped each of us specifically to demonstrate his love in the world around us. You know, last week being Pentecost, I spoke of how the big revelation for me was that often we come to Pentecost and we think it's about us getting these really cool magical tricks. And, and, and Pentecost is about us getting the Holy Spirit and that gives us some sort of a status or power or level of awesomeness among the rest of God's people. But recognizing it was actually more about calling uh, God's religious people to repentance, to get back on board with what God is doing in the world. And this is what we see. Peter is preaching to his fellow Jews and saying, the Jesus whom you had killed because you preferred the status quo has been vindicated by God. And now his spirit is, is calling us into this new way of being in the world to fulfill our mission, to be God's ambassadors. And this becomes the beginning of the church. And in that, then, we can properly frame where the spiritual gifts lie. So I'm going to be looking today at one of several uh, very substantial passages of Scripture in the New Testament that speak of spiritual gifts. So we're going to be looking today at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now, it's really important that we understand what is the context of the book of Corinthians in general. Why is Paul writing these things? And I want to remind you, if the church was getting it all right, we wouldn't have a New Testament. 
And I want to encourage you to that because I want you to recognize within our own church, if our church, if we were all getting it right, we wouldn't need to be meeting like we are. And we wouldn't need to be having the conversations that we're having throughout the week. This is the substance of us working out our salvation with fear and trembling. And so what is happening in the church in Corinth that makes Paul write this letter specifically to address uh, a misalignment or a misunderstanding in the spiritual gifts? In contrast to some of the other churches like Philippi, Corinth was a thriving metropolitan city. If you ever look at it on a map, it kind of sits right in the middle of the Roman and Greek world to the west and uh, the Asian world and the Jewish world to the east. It was a trading city. There was a lot of commerce going through the city and that made it a very rich city. There was a really uh, strong caste system in terms of the socioeconomic statuses. There was a lot of very poor people as there were all throughout the known world at the time, but there were also a lot of really rich people. There were Greeks and there were Jews and there were Turk Turkish people and there were Romans and North Africans, all of these people congregating in this city. So it was incredibly diverse in a number of ways. And what happened in the early church is people from all different walks of life were being saved into the new family of God was that they were bringing with them all of these assumptions about how human beings are valued and, and who has a place at the table and who gets served first. And they had applied those kind of human ranking systems to the spiritual gifts themselves. That so they recognized that they received gifts, but they wrongly aligned what those gifts meant for their place within the church. And so 1 Corinthians 11 that we looked at a few weeks ago was actually Paul correcting the way in which they were participating in a love feast and then the Lord's table because they were treating it as a ranking system that those of high socioeconomic status and the rich, they get fed first and the poor were going away hungry. And now Paul turns his attention to the spiritual gifts where he was recognizing that there was a lot of misuse of the gifts. And so 12, 13, and 14 all kind of go together into one discussion about the gifts, but he lays out his major theories of the spiritual gifts here in 1 Corinthians 12. I'm going to read the first 11 verses. Now, about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know, when you were pagans, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there's given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking different kinds of tongues. And still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit. And... He distributes them to each one just as he determines. So there's a lot, a lot, a lot that we can draw out of this. 
But I think this is what's so important for our, for our, our intents today. We all have a common purpose to further the kingdom of God. You know, we have these three primary theological values in our church, um, intimacy with God, identity in Christ, and purpose as the spirit-led church. And our purpose, I would say, semantically, is the same. We are all here to further the kingdom of God. That's our common purpose. Every single member of the church has that job to do. However, we are equipped with different vocations and gifts in order to achieve that goal together. So while we have a common purpose, our role within that purpose will look different, and that's what we call our calling. So some of the spiritual gifts, even as you see that the list here in 1 Corinthians 12, there's a, there's a list in Ephesians, there's a list in Romans that we'll get to later. When you see these lists, maybe even now you're starting to discern how they're all a little bit different from one another. I think some gifts primarily bless us within the church, the new family of God, that they're meant for discipleship, for growing up the people of God. Um, and there's others that are meant primarily to minister to those outside the church. To oversimplify, we could say it's the, the outward growth of the church and the upward growth of the church, but I don't really like those terms very, mo very much. But a lot of the gifts actually operate in both places. And so the more that you begin to learn about your spiritual gifts, the more you will better understand perhaps why you are drawn to a specific ministry within the church, that you have a specific heart for a, for a certain group of people, or why you have said yes to the roles uh, that you've stepped into. Or maybe that you haven't stepped into a role yet, but once you know your gifts, you have a better understanding of where your place is in the larger panoply of what God is doing through the spiritual gifts. You know, for me, two of my dominant gifts, surprise, surprise, are pastor and teacher. Um, you know, before I was a pastor, I was a spiritual director at a church in Nashville. And before that, I was a high school teacher. And I knew from the 10th grade that I wanted to teach. Um, and it's a gift that I believe that God has uh, redeemed to make it a kingdom gift um, over and above uh, the very noble cause that I was leading uh, in my life prior to the ministry. Uh, but I also felt a certain amount of guilt sometimes in youth group growing up and later on that I didn't have this burning passion for the lost, that I have friends that have a huge evangelistic heart that they really want to go out and they want to meet people who have yet to meet Jesus and they want to share their stories and they want to pray over those people and see them come into living relationship with Jesus. And I wasn't necessarily that guy. And I felt guilty that I wasn't passionate about everything all the time when it came to the church and the roles within it. Um, and it took a lot of time and prayer with the Lord to recognize that my role within the church is a very specific role that tends more to the flock. As a pastor, my role is to care for the flock that he has gifted me with. Uh, and my role as a teacher is to do the same. But then I recognized within that, when I contribute that to the larger portion of what God is doing, that there are other people within the community who have that fire and that passion for evangelism. And my job isn't to conform them to make them look more like me, but it's to teach them in such a way as to empower them to, to fill the role that God has called for them to do. And I think that's what's, uh, what's so relieving to me in understanding my vocation specifically. And I think it's important to recognize that as we're speaking of spiritual gifts, 
the gifts are not necessarily, I would say that the gifts are definitely not the way in which we value one another within the church. Um, but rather, the gifts are rightly understood in, in relationship to intimacy with Jesus. We find this little passage in Matthew chapter 7 where Jesus says, At the, some of you will come to me and say, Lord, Lord, did we not cast out demons and perform many miracles? And I'll say, I never knew you. And I think we have to take that really seriously. That just because we've been given gifts by God does not automatically mean that we're in or that we're doing them in the right way. And indeed, a sign of maturity, as we've been talking about maturity so much in this, uh, this year, is learning how to steward well the gifts that God has given us rather than just pointing to the gifts as evidence that we're on uh, the right side and that we are entitled for whatever it is that we need. And so, rather, we can recognize that it is the fruit of the Spirit mentioned in Galatians that are almost the lens through which we look at the spiritual gifts that to be an intimate relationship with the Spirit of Jesus produces in us a kind of attitude, this fruit of the Spirit, this characteristic. And that character that we take on, the character of Jesus, helps us to steward well the gifts as the task of the church. Another thing that I've observed about gifts, and I think we can see in this passage, all the gifts are available to all of us all the time, but... Particular gifts are granted to each of us for our personal calling. And so every gift is available to you potentially at any moment. But I think there is a certain grouping of gifts that has been specifically endowed to you to contribute to your larger calling. And the way that I like to talk about calling as opposed to purpose is this, that the calling is found at the intersection of your story, your personality, and the spiritual gifts that you've received. And so your story, what is your story with God? What was your life like before you met him? How has he specifically ministered to you? And what are you seeing now as a result of that? Your personality, how do you see the world? Are you an introvert? Are you an extrovert? Um, how do you relate to people? What are the things that bring you joy? What are the things that you really struggle with and that bring you despair? All of that personality stuff works in this as well. And then you have these specific gifts that God has given you. I mean, you begin to ask questions, linking your story and your personality and your gifts, somewhere in the center of that, you begin to find your calling. So when I became more aware of what my spiritual gifts were, it was also at the same time that I was understanding my personality um, and recognizing that a huge driving force in my life is reconciliation. I'm always trying to find what's the theory of everything that holds it all together, the thing behind the thing behind the thing. And I remember uh, in, in my first job in the ministry um, as a spiritual director, asking the Lord to give me a phrase that kind of demonstrated like this, this is my vocation, this is my calling. And, it was to, and what I felt like the Lord said was to reconcile the heart and the mind. That I knew many Christians who had a robust intellectual faith, they, they read and they studied and they prayed and they understood the things of God, but there wasn't necessarily that action on the other side of it. But conversely, I had a lot of friends and they were all heart and they were passion and they were out there and they were doing the thing and they were burning out because they had no theological grounding for their action. And so the Lord showed me that my calling, my ministry, is going to be one of reconciling the heart and the mind to produce Christians that think like Christians, that feel like Christians, and that act like Christians. 
And it was not until I was really able to understand my personality that I just innately see the world in terms of reconciliation, that I was able to partner that with my gifts and to say, oh yes, these are the gifts that I've been given in order to do that. And so knowing your story with God Knowing your personality will help you to, to give context to which gifts God has gifted you with. Now, some spiritual gifts that you have are going to be things that have been with you since the cradle. I believe that there are certain gifts that God weaves into our spiritual DNA that have always been part of our story, whether we knew him or not. And so what is God is doing is he's redeeming the gifts that have always been there and making them work more and more in greater efficiency for his kingdom. But I believe other gifts are bestowed upon you later in life, whether it's for your calling or whether it's for a moment. For example, I think about wisdom when I'm talking about being able to perceive the thing beneath the thing. I'm talking about a gift of wisdom. That might be something that you have grown up with that the Lord is redeeming uh, for the kingdom. Um, but, you know, I've, I've told stories of, of having to, to do deliverance ministry before in terms of casting demons out of people. And that is not a gift that I consider myself to have. It's not a passion of mine. It's not a long-term uh, pursuit of mine. But when the moment comes, I believe that God gifts me to be able to do that. And so sometimes you're going to have gifts that are bestowed upon you later in life. And they might become part of your calling or they might even be for that moment. This is another, I think this is the major correction uh, to the church in Corinth. Some gifts seem like they're supernatural gifts, and some gifts seem like they're natural. And what do I mean by that? I mean, the really awesome gifts are speaking in tongues and miracles and deliverance and signs and wonders, and those are supernatural. And when you're really serious about God, you'll have those kinds of gifts. And then there's gifts like service and helps and mercy, and those things are cute, and we'll kind of give those people some things to do in the church. Um, I personally hate the word supernatural. Um, I always like to chide my charismatic friends um, by sending them a screenshot. If you go to the Bible online and you search for the word supernatural, it comes up and says, this word is not found because it's not in the Bible. Um, that comes from a Gnostic uh, thinking that there's the spiritual realm and that's the real stuff and that's ultimately where God lives. And then there's the physical thing which is inherently broken and dysfunctional and we're all going to leave that behind anyway and just pursue the spiritual things, the supernatural things. God has no opinion about the natural things. And so these Corinthians, many of them who were probably raised in Greek philosophy, were bringing that kind of thinking into the church. And so when they saw these gifts that seemed to defy nature, they said, surely those must be the more important things. But all of these normal everyday things like administration, well, that's cute and all, but when those people get serious, they'll pursue the greater gifts. And so Paul is pointing out in this passage that God does not rank people like we rank people. But God does also not rank the gifts the way that we would. Because only when all the gifts are present and celebrated do we have the fullest picture of God. That we need all the gifts to get the greatest vision of who God is and what he's doing within our community. Because all the gifts, all the spiritual gifts are expressions of God's love. 
And why wouldn't we want every possible expression of God's love present within our community and within our city? All the gifts are specific expressions of the love of God. And if that's true, why wouldn't we want every expression of the love of God present within our community? You know, when I think about this week, when I think about the egregious crimes against our black brothers and sisters in this country for so long, when I think about how this is all boiling to the surface now, and, and many people thinking, well, I thought we dealt with this in the 60s. I thought it was all over. I thought we were in a post-racial society. But then listening and learning and saying, oh my goodness, you know, if you imagine like an iceberg, there's this, this surface thing that's going on, but there's this, all this stuff underneath the surface that's now bubbling up that we need to be listening to. When I think about that, and I think about the work that's ahead of us, one of the things that I think about when it comes to spiritual gifts is right now we need prophets more than ever. We need healthy, eagle-eyed prophets that can clearly hear the word of God for our generation. We need the gift of mercy. My goodness, the way people cut down people on social media or criticize people for their best attempts at moving into a deeper place of being anti-racist or being an advocate. Of people being so consumed with the need to be right that they forget about the need to love. We need the gift of mercy. We need deliverance. We need to recognize the powers and the principalities that are at work today within our country that the spirit behind racism is demonic. And we need people to remind us of that, that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and powers of darkness. We need hospitality. We need the spiritual gift of hospitality. That gift of radical kindness that has this innate ability to create a space in which people can come and sit at a table and feel heard and seen and treasured in order to build relationship. Far from being a distraction from what we need to talk about right now, I believe that the spiritual gifts now more than ever are imperative for the Christian household to understand, to embrace, and to train ourselves in because this is the work that needs to be done. I want to read the rest of Paul's uh, thinking in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and I'm not going to really comment on it because I think he speaks so beautifully for himself. And perhaps you want to close your eyes and just allow Paul's uh, poetic language to give you a visual point of reference for what it is that he's trying to get across. And so this is 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 to the end in 30. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. 
Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it would not be for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, what would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But, in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all in one part, where would the body be? As such it is, there are many parts, but one body. And his second amazing point. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. I think this is why it's important that we can say black lives matter because we're giving greater honor to the pieces that are lacking it. So God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, Every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ. And each one of you is a part of it. And God is placed in the church. First of all, apostles. Second, prophets. Third, teachers. Then miracles. Then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? No. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Do all work miracles? No. Do all have gifts of healing? No. Do all speak in tongues? No. Do all interpret? No. Now, eagerly desire the greater gifts. And then I think what is one of the most egregious cuts in Scripture, going into 1 Corinthians 12, now I will show you the most excellent way. And Paul begins to speak of love. The imagery is stunning. It's one of those passages that maybe we're so familiar with that we miss its profundity. That each of us, in our diversity, are so beautiful and necessary to the thing. But we've lived in these systems, we've imported these systems from the world, we've begun to rank the parts of the body of which bits are the better bits and which are the less important bits. And what Paul is saying is you're all part of the same body. But rather than saying the whole body matters, focus on the pieces that don't seem to matter very much and to elevate them back into their proper place. The whole body belongs together and it's held together by the Spirit of God. So, what's our plan moving forward in this series? We have developed an online spiritual gifts assessment for you uh, to take this week. And so if you go to citybeautiful.ch gifts, you're going to be able to find that assessment. 
And it's 120 questions um, that you will answer between zero if you have no experience with this gift and four if you have a really strong awareness of that, uh, th that statement. And you're going to tally up all of the results at the end and it's going to help you understand maybe what are your three most dominant gifts. Um, now, it's really important to recognize any kind of spiritual gifts test, it's not definitive, but it's rather there to help you begin the journey, to at least give you some direction as we're going through this series to know what are the gifts that God has maybe invested in you that you need to learn how to steward better. Your results are going to be limited by your awareness and experiences up until this point in your story. And so because of that, your results cannot be compared to somebody else. It's not a universal system, but it's rather to help you gain some language for your own experience at this point in your life with God. And I think it's really important that you don't answer what you think is the right answer or what you would like the answer to be, because the only person that you're cheating when you do that is yourself. Um, be honest with your experiences, and that's going to give you better results. And so starting next week, we're going to go through each of the spiritual gifts um, and talking about them specifically through that lens of love. How does this gift specifically manifest an aspect of God's love? What are the people that have this spiritual gift called to be within the church and outside the walls of the church? And how do I learn how to steward this gift well in my life if I think that it's one that I might have? So I encourage all of you this week uh, maybe even this afternoon, jump online, um, fill out that assessment, get some of that language so that when we show up together next Sunday, we're raring to go because we have greater trajectory. And so I'm going to pray and we'll continue on in worship. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the, the imagery that Paul paints for us in this passage about what it means to be the body, about what it means to be a part of that body, and God, we want to continually be in a posture of repenting when we have valued certain parts of the body over others because we've imported in these ideologies rather than listening to you. Who is it that you honor? What is it that you find so special and unique about each one of us? And Father, I pray on this journey that as we are learning about our spiritual gifts, each one of us, that we're finding our larger, the, our place within the larger uh, picture of your church, that we also come to value human beings the way that you value them. That we would let go of our worldly ways of thinking about who deserves the place at the table and who doesn't. But instead we celebrate more and more day by day the diversity within our community. God, we, we want to do better tomorrow than we did today. Teach us, lead us, guide us. We want all of this to be for your honor and glory. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. This has been the City Beautiful Church podcast. To stay connected, follow us on social everywhere at City Beautiful CH. We hope you join us again soon.